0: your board of directors at your school district need to understand that that they contain, their systems potentially contain some of the most valuable information that we have today. According to the FBI, student information is potentially has the highest market value on the black market.
1: Welcome back to the Zero Hour brought to you by Safeguard Cyber. I'm George Kamidi.
2: I'm Ashley Stone.
1: And today we are talking K-12 cybersecurity because, Lord knows, you cannot go a day without seeing another headline about a school system just getting shut down by a ransomware attack.
2: So not only have schools had to migrate to online learning or hybrid programs, but now they're constantly under attack.
1: Yeah, and we both have teachers in our family, so, you know, we feel for them The things that teachers have had to go through just to get online learning off the ground. And I think most people take it for granted that um, technology was easy to use, but these were people who who didn't use it on a regular basis. And now these IT teams, in addition to getting Chromebooks out and tablets and whatever else, just keeping the lights on, you know, they got to protect themselves against essentially very well organized criminal groups. yeah, it's a mess.
2: Yeah, and we're thinking about this. There's all these problems. We see these resource gaps, but what what can schools do? What can these IT teams do to support given all these limited resources?
1: Yeah, and so obviously we turn to the experts. So we invited Frosty Walker on the show. He is the founder and CEO of ATX Cybersecurity Strategies. But before that, and principally, He was the chief information security officer for the Texas Education Agency, overseeing cybersecurity protocols for the entire great state of Texas, as it is known. And uh, he, he really brings a lot of good practical takeaways. So without further ado, let's turn it over to Frosty Walker. All right, Frosty Walker, welcome to the Zero Hour. So excited to have you here.
0: Well, thank you very much for inviting me today.
1: All right, so today we are talking K-12 security. Um, I think everyone who's listening has probably read some article or another on the disruptive attacks that have happened. It seems week by week. Um, but yeah, I'll turn it over to Ashley to kick us off. I think this is gonna be a, a great conversation.
2: Yeah, George is right. The headlines about ransomware attacks on school systems are coming nearly every week. Uh, before we dive into the problems that school systems are facing, let's start on a positive note. With your background and working with your current customers, what has been working well with the adaption to online learning?
0: And, you know, that's a, that's a difficult question to answer, but um, considering the environment that the schools were put into back in the spring when they left for primarily for spring break, came back three weeks later and everybody was online... Um, we've seen we've seen success stories. It, it it's been challenging for the schools, you know, trying to to acquire an, enough devices for all their students. But in most cases, what I've seen is they they have they they have adequate. They're still acquiring more, but they have they have most of what they need. Uh, they have some more ordered, you know. Um, it it also depends when we're talking about online learning the skill set of the instructor who was mm-hmm. used to face to face and now we have to figure out different ways to, to 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 get a student to focus on that so i think what we've seen is in some cases particular particularly in, in the higher grades we probably see see more success for that particularly mm-hmm. in the lower grades where our students have have attention uh, span problems we we, we're not seeing as much success uh, on with online but but I think with with the circumstances that the schools were were put in and now we've been beginning to refine that process we're seeing improvements.
1: Yeah I will say I'm friends with a number of teachers in the uh, K through fifth grades and I will just go on the record is saying they are heroes. You're taking people whose technological skill set involved staplers and photocopying. And then, you know, it sounded so easy, like, we'll just go online, right? But we take it for granted, those of us who work in either the technology space or an office, like how natural some of this software is for us. And so you're asking older teachers to suddenly master Zoom in the matter of days, much less engage kindergartners, um, you know, on a computer. So yeah, that is that is a, a victory worth celebrating for sure. Um, okay, so now let's turn to the problems. Um, so we've been following the news here at Safeguard Cyber. We also know what our customers are saying in terms of their needs and, and what they're looking uh, to protect against. But also curious to get your perspective, you're in Texas, uh, one of the largest uh, school systems in the country. What are you hearing from the front lines in terms of, you know, what is top of mind? What's the concern? What's the worry? Well,
0: the, the first concern they, we have is primarily, you know, making sure that students have devices for on-learning do We have a constant turnover of those devices. We have mm-hmm. students that leave, go to another school, and we, so we we have limited staff. So we have to have to wipe, sanitize those devices, and then redeploy them again. So, so with very limited resources, we're taking away from from uh, typical jobs that somebody's already wearing multiple hats and trying to 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 keep that organized. And keep track of those assets. Um, you know, we have damaged assets that, that that get returned to the schools. So, so I think that that what we see right now on the on the, the online learning is that is the one of the biggest challenges that the school districts are are seeing right now. You know, another challenge that we have is is ransomware, as as Ashley mentioned earlier. And we've had over a thousand instances since the beginning of 2020 of wow. ransomware wow. in education um, uh, uh, in the UN, in the United States. So that's a huge amount, and we say, well, you know, why why is it, why are we having that that impact? But but the reality is, I, I saw a recent study that said 73% of the time cyber criminals are successful in encrypting data. Mm -hmm. Now, if I was a football, if a high school football coach and my (laughs) offense could score 73% of the time that they touch the ball, I would not be worrying about what my offense is going to look like next year, except at the next level, at the college level, because I would be ready for a college level. (laughs) So, you know, that is why. That that ransomware is is so prevalent right now is that at seventy three percent of the time they're they're successful in encrypting encrypting at least some of the data.
1: Well, and to also it's a captive audience, right? It's not like you know a school system is like Norse Hydro where they can take things offline and go to manual systems and incur a business loss, but kind of like take their time. I mean, a, a ransomware attack keeps students out of school for you know, however much time and school systems are liable for that. So it's, it's, they're very much caught in a bind.
0: And and they are, I I, I see some schools that quickly agree to pay a ransom, whether they have insurance or not, mm-hmm. um, because the, the amount of time it will take them to recover uh, their, their data. So in uh, many times that's just, you know, nature of the business right now.
1: Right well and we were talking before we started recording about Clark County in Nevada where they had refused to pay the ransom and you know they just dumped the students data anyway you know it was like a uh, you know they released that that data that they'd exfiltrated ahead of the attack so then you're caught in a you know a PII and compliance issue right that's student records social security numbers just out there on the dark web but we we'll get we'll get to that in a second so um it sounded like what you were saying in terms of the front lines in device management, endpoint management. You know, IT teams are strapped just trying to keep the lights on, just keep things running and maintain. So, you know, when we dig into this problem, which seems so intractable, I think the most obvious core issue that comes up is probably budget, right? School systems don't have SOC teams, Well, most don't. Um, and I, I read this quote in a recent issue, uh, sorry, a recent article in the Wall Street Journal's April Mardock of Seattle Public Schools said, The opponent is fighting with cluster bombs, and we are fighting with muskets and slingshots. So, you know, given that budgets aren't likely changing anytime soon, you know, what do you think school systems can do with what they have right now in terms of? Security protocols, or or giving their IT teams the best shot at defense.
0: Well, I I think one of the things that 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 schools can do is is utilize a, a framework. There are some states that require uh, schools to use the NIST framework, which is pretty complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, in Texas, we we. We took a, a, a framework that's now called the Texas Cybersecurity Framework that only has 46 elements from NIST uh, that, that map, map back to NIST. And we use that for uh, agencies in higher education and have encouraged our schools to use that. But I would recommend any type of framework. There is, um, for example, the uh, Center uh, for uh, Internet Security has a, a framework or, or a set of controls that is only 20, and basically those are just um, uh, you know general ideas are, are a framework to say for example you need to have an inventory of your hardware, mm-hmm. you need to have an inventory of your software, you need to have an inventory of where your your uh, sensitive information is located. What applications are are those in? Um, you need to have. Cybersecurity policies that that ensure your users understand how what appropriate uh, uh, usage is. Um, so, so those are the types of once they once they've looked through the frameworks like that, then they can uh, they can identify potential risk. And I'll give you an example. So we say, okay, we use endpoint protection to you know prevent. provide antivirus and prevent malware on our our endpoints, and that includes Mm. desktops, laptops, and servers. Okay, well, that's great, but you also have tablets, and you possibly have mobile devices. Are you also doing endpoint protection on those? If you're not, that's a potential risk, so then that helps you identify where your risks are, once you once you have your risk identified, then it then you have to prioritize those risks. You have to look at them and say, okay, well I really we need a lot of improvement in this area, uh, and that's that's a pretty high risk. So I'll, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to budget for that this year. Cybersecurity is not not like a weekend getaway. It is a journey. <laughs> You know, it's it's a constantly moving journey, but you try to, you try in the budget world, you try to have to be ahead, thinking ahead of that. And schools are behind in that situation. So, you know, you, there there is some budgeting, but there are also a lot of things with the existing resources that schools have, mm-hmm. using a framework to identify risk and then prioritize and, and develop a, a mitigation plan, you know in many cases, schools just Mm -hmm. don't understand where their risks really are located.
2: Yeah, that's a great starting place is identifying the risks, prioritizing them, and starting to address them, knowing that you can't address everything at once, especially as we're talking about budget constraints. What, What can be done about budget constraints, especially with your experience at the state level? You know, I think about this can't be an awareness issue. These ransomware attacks were surging last year. They're still trendy this year. Is it a municipal or a state level budget issue?
0: And I think it's it's three levels: local, state, and federal. Mm-hmm. All of those mm-hmm. uh, need need to take a look at it. Yeah. You know, your board of directors at your school district need to understand that, that they contain their systems, potentially contain some of the most valuable information that we have today. According to the FBI, student information is potentially has the highest market value on the black market. And they say, well, why Whoa. is that? Yeah. And the reason for that is if you or I had our identity stolen, we would recognize that in a couple of months. At the most, but a student, let's say a second grader, potentially is not going to ever know that their ID has been stolen and being used um, until they till they turn sixteen or eighteen and get a job, or until they go to college. So, so you know, criminals have yeah, a lead much longer long period though. of time to yeah. utilize that data. So that makes that data much more valuable than 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 minor years
2: yeah that's a scary thought,
1: yeah. so um you mentioned federal level. well, let's we'll go back to state. I mean, either one, does this require greater awareness in the budgeting process? like i I think of school budgets get uh, allocated out of other services, parks and Rec, um, emergency services, stuff like that. But if you're part of a municipality like New Orleans, Baltimore, that has gotten hit at the government level also, does there need to be kind of like either a cybersecurity line item in each of those budgets or kind of an umbrella cybersecurity budget that's going to protect all of the public infrastructure or go to protecting all of the public infrastructure?
0: And I think both again, both of those are applicable. We're seeing more and more communities that are trying to form that umbrella across all of their their, mm-hmm. their resources, which I think that's a good idea. And many, in many areas, they're still independent. So, you know, they, they have to look at budgeting, you know, for cybersecurity and, and each of those, those levels. I think another thing that schools can can also do is is security awareness training. Um, I know in two years ago in the last session, we legislation passed a requirement for all schools and local governments as well to provide security awareness training to all of their their employees. And that training had to be certified by a state agency as to whether it was was uh, you know a, a good course or not. There's about 150 of those now that are that are certified out there you know your users when we talk about ransomware still the, the the number one avenue that ransomware is introduced into an environment is email and mm-hmm. that's about 45% of all ransomware attacks come through your email so you need to work on your, with your users to be better under have a better understanding of recognizing well should i open this link that i got from from Frosty Walker i've never heard of this guy Mm-hmm. Where, where is he? what is he doing? So you know those are types of things that once again you know you can potentially do um, with you know you, you a school could even have have some of their students come up with uh, some short videos or uh, that they could play back to their to their employees to encourage their employees to be mindful of, of not clicking on links and be being cautious about reading email. I haven't used any of my resource time. So,
1: that's right. Let's let's uh let's pay high schoolers to red team their own teacher. <laughs> <laughs> um so, yes, yeah, so now returning to the federal level, we've seen just last Friday uh representatives uh, Matsui from California and lanavin from Rhode Island have introduced a bill to shore up K-12 cybersecurity and they want to track incidents at the federal level and create a 400 million dollar grant program, you know, Of course, there's probably a time to value issue there because, you know, the attacks are happening now. And by the time it went its way through Congress, it would, you know, be too late. But uh, I'm interested in the tracking incidents at the federal level. Do you see, um, you know, that level of coordination being helpful to understand either the malware families or, or, you know, the lures that are being used? Is that a resource that would be helpful?
0: You know, and that's that's a good point. You know, at the federal level, I'm not so sure about that. Mm-hmm. I do like that at 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 a state level. Um, we we do have legislation here in Texas that requires schools to report uh, a breach of of student data. We also encourage them to report any type of breach of data uh, or any type of attack. And the reason for that is then we may be able, we may hear from two or three different schools within a a location that that are experiencing similar things. So then we can alert more schools Mm -hmm. uh, uh, about that. We also in Texas have 20 regional centers which serve schools within their community. So we use that as a way to disseminate information back quickly to those to those schools. Another thing that we did in Texas is we require all the schools to identify a cybersecurity coordinator. And you say, well, what qualifications does a cybersecurity quali- uh, coordinator need? Well, none, except that 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 they they are willing to to work with. Um, with the Texas Education Agency and potentially other schools. So if so if a coordinator if they see something unusual they can they can notify TEA and then TEA can quickly broadcast a, a a message out to all the cybersecurity coordinators in the state to let them know that there's a potential threat out there that that will help. And so schools can also then look up and say, "Hey, you know, what are you doing for for this type of of, of, of uh, issue, what what type of tool are you using for this? You know, when you work collectively together, it makes it much easier because there's probably not a not too many problem issues out there that we're going to see today that somebody hasn't already addressed. Mm-hmm. Don't know about it, so it makes it much easier when you're able to 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 contact and and share information like that. So I think it's important, at least at the state level. And potentially the states could then roll that up to a federal level, so you could see that across across the the, uh, uh, the country.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good point that they don't necessarily need to be a cyber expert in a school context, but you need to have someone put their hand up and be like, "I will, I will own this process of sharing this information at the most basic level." Right? That's correct. I mean, you know, we could send that out to the superintendents, but but
0: they've got other things on their plate, so right. Just identify a cybersecurity coordinator. We'll work with that.
2: Yeah, that's great. And to quickly share that information between all the schools, because otherwise you're just sitting in silos again.
0: That's that's correct. And, and you shouldn't be an island or a silo. We're all in this together.
2: I love I love that. And thinking about um, the teams and we're all in this together, um, setting aside budgets, is there a deeper issue with roles and responsibilities as it comes to school security? Uh, You know, you think about technologies really fall into IT teams, which is tricky and uh, hard for an IT team to manage if they're small or only one or two people. So I'm curious, what's been your experience with school systems establishing these clear roles and responsibilities for security issues, like adding in that cybersecurity coordinator?
0: You know that, and that is uh, again, you know, a, a real issue. You know, resources, human resources within the schools. Very few schools have a dedicated cybersecurity person. You know, they they use their IT team. I uh, uh, I spoke with a district last week that has about nine thousand students, and they said, "Oh, we have we have three network administrators, and we do oh. all the endpoint." Um, you know, refresh, and we are monitoring the, the the network for for issues and cyber issues. And you're going, you know, that that's a large amount of students, let alone the the the, the staff that they're they're working with. And we have three people working on that. So I think that, you know, funding w- would help. But you know. I'd like to see more schools have have a dedicated person. If they can't have, some schools are small. They can't afford a dedicated person. There are programs out there where where there's now available for virtual chief mm-hmm. information security officers, where where schools share someone. I think that's again sharing a resource like that. Now I think that's a, that's an outstanding opportunity for schools to uh, to to share with that.
1: Yeah, so I I was, I think I was, I guess I was definitely joking initially about high schoolers red teaming their teachers, but now let me revisit that scenario. So I know that, for example, the University of Oklahoma has a a SOC that is staffed both by full time and university students, people who are majoring in cybersecurity, they kind of rotate through that, that SOC. For at least at the high school level, where we know that cybersecurity is a burgeoning industry with a skills gap, you know, I'm just thinking out loud here, live on the podcast, that there could be a way to roll in some student talent, right? Because you do have students who've been like, you know, arrested for ddosing their school district. Well, if they have those skills, right? Could we could we bring them into the fold? And I don't know. I'm just you thinking rechannel out
0: loud. that energy to a positive, yeah. and and there's potential there there is potential there i know yeah you know, i mentioned that 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 here in texas we have regional centers I, I talked to a regional center last week that said said they just completed standing up their soc and they have and so within that they provide services network services for, for many of the schools and they say you know it's amazing how many ddos we have and and you know how how often we can push the button and and, and prevent that now because we have the talent and the the capability of doing that. And again, that's about sharing resources uh, for those. Uh, We're also seeing uh, some uh, information sharing organization, ISALs or ISACs uh, Mm -hmm. that are being formed here in the state of Texas. Again, primarily for that capability that that include higher education, state agencies and and the K through 12.
1: Cool, Um, okay, so let me get back on track to roles and responsibilities. And I got two questions, we'll start with IT. So, um, you know, earlier this year, uh, you joined us on a panel with Jason Rooks from uh, a school system in Missouri. And he had said that he is being asked to monitor for bullying and self-harm and also being asked to, you know, retain evidence trails of those communications for uh families for investigation stuff like that which just sounds like a cruel joke because you're piling on yet one more responsibility onto an IT team like we said you have three people trying to manage endpoints for 9,000 students and now you're asking them to monitor communications like it's inhuman it's like no one can reasonably do that um so we were talking about budgets and then you turn to talk about human resources. Is this a time where school systems should now reconsider what those resources look like? Do you need to bring guidance counselors into the technology fold? Do you need to bring um, social workers into, because that, that reasonably cannot be IT's responsibility. And,
0: you know, that, and that's a good point. You know, and, and there are tools now that allow you to to monitor uh, social media collaboration tools. And I think we're going to see more and more of that uh, within the schools in the next few years. And they need to be looking at that. Um, I know that um, Safeguard Cyber and CloudStrike did a, did a case study at a, a school district that had 1200 students for the first 10 days of virtual learning. And they um, uh, they captured, analyzed, and archived about 125,000 messages. Which yeah, that was ridiculous.
1: We were, we we were surprised by that volume, <laughs> mostly and, because uh, students were logging on at like two in the morning. So, yeah.
0: You know, but then when I look at that study and I say you 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 encountered uh, almost almost 2,000 instances of inappropriate conduct. And another yeah. 180 mentions of violent activity and 74 references to drug use. Oh, and by the way, we also indicated seven malware right, in attachments and links. So oftentimes we think about the the cyber threats as being malware, uh, but we also see the way that students are using these tools. It's 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 also surprising, you know, inappropriate conduct
1: yeah Yeah. well and it and it's tricky right because it's you know the school is the general principle is in loco parentis right you have to provide a safe space if that space is moved from a physical location into a virtual space i don't know that the law sees those two things very differently right so I think that's yeah. so incredible I, I do think we'll
0: we'll see more schools move in towards this I'm seeing some schools in Texas that have have moved already into this in, environment I think you're going to see more schools as they can clearly point out how they've been able to help students that that you know are having problems and in, um, uh, in monitoring that
1: when I so okay so that was the the poor i.t Staff, so we've been talking sort of at the, the the bottom of the ladder, and they're sort of in the trenches. But you had mentioned schools as needing to think ahead, right, to sort of anticipate needs. What are the risks? What do I have protected versus what don't I have protected? My question is, in terms of roles and responsibilities in that foresight, do you think that there needs to be more awareness about these risks? at the superintendent level? I know superintendents have traditionally been focused on kind of the, just the operational aspects of a school system. But when you read these articles about ransomware, the person who gets quoted or the person who's on the hook for answering is the superintendent. But I feel like security and IT is always just like, you know, that's their corner of the the responsibility pool. So do you see like school board superintendents, I feel like there's not enough awareness at that level?
0: Yeah, I do not think that that there is enough awareness at the superintendent and, and school board level. Um, it reminds me, uh, a few years back, I, I made a presentation and, and we were talking about moving things to the cloud. And a gentleman in the back of the room stood up, waited for a microphone, said, said, my name is, is John Keel. I am the state auditor of Texas. And I just want to remind everybody of one thing. You can outsource anything except responsibility. And that that quote really, really stands out to me about cybersecurity today, because it is the school board. It is the superintendent that is ultimately responsible for that data, whether it's in the cloud, whether it's through a partner, they still have the responsibility of making sure that that data is is protected properly.
1: Yeah, interesting. I feel like, you know, when you look at local school boards, which tend to be made up of elected citizens in the area, you know, those citizens are parents and they're concerned with quality of education. So and they don't come to the table with necessarily unless you're in a major metropolitan area sort of knowledge of the technological risks
0: one thing that I do see more of now on with your school board is that there in many cases they're they're local business people who may have also encountered ransomware mm-hmm. and have a better understanding of that oh, than, um, than maybe even the, the superintendents they understand how disruptive that is to a business. So they, in many cases, the school board will be more supportive of that.
2: Yeah, that's great. Well, we, you know, we wanted to start our conversation looking at the positives of uh, teachers are heroes education. Yeah. We love our teachers. <laughs> We've got teachers in both of our families. So, what would your advice be to superintendents, IT staff, security staff who are worried about? The attacks and feeling that burden and responsibility, but also feeling hamstrung by their lack of resources.
0: Yeah. And I, I think, you know, kind of like what we talked about, you know, security awareness training, security awareness training, a a 15 minute uh, course can go a long way in, in, in improving um, the, your, your security posture. Uh, so I think security awareness is key. Uh, like I said, also using some type of framework or guidelines that that helps you identify where your risks are, that, that then you can prioritize those risks so that you can then budget for those risks over over a long period of time, and that's a continuous process because there there are new risks that are that are that are you know discovered every day.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's more sustainable than hoping for some, you know, golden check to appear from the sky that will allow you to buy everything, is to just develop a sustainable process that you can, you know, you can go through every quarter or every nine weeks, depending on whatever your school cycle is. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I recommend you, you, you look through that framework every, every quarter. You know, for one thing, you you can quickly identify what you've changed. If you do it once a year, mm-hmm. it, things have gone too too far. You do it every two years, you're starting over. So, but quarterly, it doesn't take very much to be able to say, well, what did we change? Did we change any policies? Have we added procedures? Have we updated procedures that would improve our security posture in these areas? Uh, you know, it, it makes it much easier if you you do that. It takes... Uh, when I was the chief information security officer at TEA and did that on a quarterly basis, it it took me a couple of hours to update that on a quarterly basis.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Made it, made it pretty simple.
1: Yeah. So we come, we come back to the age old adage, right? Pound of prevention (laughs) or an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So if we could just sort of stay on top of it, stay ahead of it, um, and make it repeatable, uh, we'll be, we'll be in good shape. That's good. Well, uh, Frosty Walker, thank you very much for your time again uh, for joining us and and lending your expertise on these issues. We we feel for the schools, but it's it's good to have a a frank and candid discussion about what can be done about it.
0: Well, I am I'm always glad to see schools making making improvements, and schools are really struggling, like we said, with the online. Uh, a brand new challenge, but they really stepped up to that challenge. They didn't have a choice, but to step up to that challenge. So, you know, we get by this hurdle and maybe we can begin to focus again back on, on threats that, that, um, that they can have, have a better security posture in the long term.
1: Cool. All right. Well, thanks so much for the time. And I hope we get to talk again soon.
0: All right. Thank you very much. Thank you, George. Thank you, Ashley. Y'all have a great
2: day.
1: Thanks for joining. Bye now. Bye. And that wraps another episode of The Zero Hour brought to you by Safeguard Cyber. Many thanks to Kai Krogetti for sound design and post-production, to Mattias Cefaletti for our theme music, and as ever, to our guests for lending their valuable time and expertise and insights. Stay safe. Stay strong. This is The Zero Hour, signing off. Until next time.